expectation that your employer would uh, be res- help, be responsible for your mental health, I think, is something that's new, and and that that shows up with uh, kind of old school managers like me who've been around a while, who you know grew up in a time when there was a strict separation. You would never think about bringing uh, any personal issues from home into the office, right? You know, our companies have had to, our leaders have had to teach their managers how to deal with employmental health issues that come up, how to talk to people about it, what to do when someone raises an issue that really needs probably elevated HR attention. That was Principal of the People Advisory for Norwest Venture Partners, Lori Tennant. And in this episode of Redefining Work, we sit down and talk about the complexities and opportunities of leading a talent partner team in venture capital. When you have a scope that crosses geographies, company sizes, locations, and pretty much every other measure of variable within a company, That's what a talent advisor does. And we are going to explore that and a lot more right now. All right, let's say you're a company looking for a strategic partnership to help you transform your people operations. You know you've got dozens of options out there, but here's why Amplify is the best one. Amplify consults and advises on what it takes to build modern people teams. From the kickoff to weekly update meetings to interview coordination and every step in between, this helps them clearly understand your work style, culture, and needs so they can be a deeply informed advisor throughout the engagement. And they understand the complexity and profile of a modern people executive because they're embedded in that world. Founder Lars Schmidt has spent over 20 years working alongside chief human resources officers, building next generation HR programs and working with companies like Forbes and Fast Company. These days, with everything moving at lightning speed, nothing is more important than clarity and simplicity. Cut through all the noise with Amplify. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining Work Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today we are talking talent and not just talent. We always talk about talent, but we're talking about talent through the lens of a venture capital talent partner. Uh, I'm joined by Lori Tennant. She is the principal of the People Advisory at Norwest Venture Partners. And we are going to dig into what it is like to do that job in this complex environment that we're operating in today. So, Lori, the floor is yours. I'd love to have you just open with an introduction for the audience. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Um, I have been with Norris Venture Partners for about 10 years. I was hired to both oversee our internal HR process as well as work with our portfolio companies and founders and HR leaders on kind of what we call HR advisory or people advisory. Um, And we have about 200 active portfolio companies right now in our portfolio. We're multi-stage, everything from seed through uh, Series D, through growth equity. We're multi-sector, so we're consumer, technology, and healthcare, and um, multi, I guess, global multi-geographies, as really everyone is these days, right? So we have not only companies headquartered in the U.S., India, and Israel mostly, but of course, they have employees all over the world. So, um, so that's my role. It's, it's a super fun one. I love the combination of being able to, you know, nurture and grow a company, our, our firm of 150 global employees, as well as all of the um, interesting things and challenges that come up with our portfolio companies. 
Well, it's quite a uh, scope, uh, if yeah. you will, of kind of uh, oversight of what you do. And, you know, I think we have seen a trend over the last couple of years of people moving from uh, HR leader roles, kind of in corporate organizations, into talent partner, talent advisor, talent lead roles in venture capital firms. And so maybe for the audience who might be thinking about making that journey themselves, what does your typical week look like? What, what can they expect to be doing if they are in a role like yours? Yeah, I think that probably the most important thing that I do with our portfolio leaders is connect them. So um, I spend a lot of time building community, both we have a really robust online community, um, the most active of all of our online communities in our uh, in our in our portfolio services function because HR people love to help each other. Um, we connect, we do roundtables, uh, usually monthly, bringing people leaders together, talking about common challenges. Um, and then a lot of kind of bespoke connecting of people or just ad advising on, you know, challenges that people are having. Also, uh, you know, the oversight of a, of a rich and growing and scaling venture firm is quite challenging as well. So uh, I think like all HR leaders during these times, it's been a very stimulating is the word I like to use instead of stressful. It's been a very stimulating few years and interesting. Well, let's let's unpack that a bit more. Like when you think about the skills needed to thrive in a role like yours, because it is so multifaceted, right? You're not just doing one thing, and you're not just doing one thing for one company or one team. You, you know, it's you're doing many things compounded by many different companies across different sizes and geographies and industries. What skills do you most lean on in, in your work? Maybe even outside of like the HR acumen that I imagine you have to have, right? What, what are the skills that allow you to be successful? I, I think um, I've been consulting pretty much my entire career. So I think consulting skills, which means, you know, good listening skills, good problem solving skills, good facilitation skills, um, and the ability to kind of maybe pattern recognition across different different companies, different firms to help kind of advise and guide on, on common challenges. I, I think that's probably the most, uh, you know, um, strict kind of skill that I've had. And then in terms of experience, I've had a lot of uh, experience with startups, which is different, you know, especially tech startups here in the Bay Area, different than I think a lot of other types of companies. So um, kind of understanding the unique challenges of, bringing best practices to companies that are starting out and um, trying to do a lot with a little. Yeah, I'd love to get your perspective on something. You know, we've seen, obviously, we've, you know, we've all been navigating uh, a, a tumultuous economy, to say the least. Um, but it's been such an in, in, you know, interesting and difficult time, I think, particularly in tech, where we, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were all working through a period that a lot of people called, you know, the great resignation, the great reawakening, whatever you want to euphemism you want to use. But, um, you know, the hiring market was on fire. Uh, you couldn't hire people fast enough in any role. And then obviously, you know, very quickly that that flipped and we entered a down period. And so we saw, you know, tremendous amounts of layoffs in tech, um, you know, not just limited to tech, but certainly I think tech is what um, what bore the brunt of a lot of these Reductions and, and I think looking back, it seemed like a lot of them were based on you know kind of in the boom time of the market, companies really just hiring, right? Is that that kind of uh, you know velocity around hiring and and bringing in as many people 
as you can to try to build. And, and in that, frankly, overhiring. And so now when the market has a correction and even has a downturn, you saw a lot of companies, especially in tech, have multiple rounds of layoffs as they had to right size their headcount for this new economic reality that we operated in. And I'm curious, like I know you have a role where you get to interface with lots of different, um, both founders and investors and, and people. people. So you're, you kind of have this like 360 view of what it's like to live through that. Um, what, what lessons do you think we've, we've learned from the experience and the kind of, you know, the, the economic shifts that we've experienced over the last two years? Yeah. I mean, I'll go back to the last, I guess it's been three and a half years now when the pandemic first happened, right? Crazy time, as we all know, um, where people were looking to HR leaders to, you know, no one knew how, how do we go to a remote how do we go to a complete remote workforce? What is a pandemic? You know, how many how many times do we have to tell people to wash their hands and all sorts of things that that no one knew how to do? Um, and and also, uh, especially here in the Bay Area, you know, health orders coming out from public health departments that were changing every week. So um, I think you know at that time. I personally spent a lot of time with our HR leaders, kind of trying to figure out how to navigate um, that uh, challenge because everyone expected the HR people somehow to know when no one else did. Um, and then we quickly, pretty quickly, moved into a, a situation where we were. I was doing a lot of a lot of counseling on riffs, how to do a riff, how to do it well. Um, if there's such thing of doing as as well as you can, how to how to do it, and. Um, so what was interesting in this second downturn that started a, a year ago, year and a half ago, hard to keep track of time anymore. Um, I, I was surprised how few conversations I had to have about how to do a riff, which is, you know, good news, bad news, right? Most of the HR leaders by that point had been through a riff and knew kind of how to do it. Um, what we were concerned with, I think as a venture firm supporting our companies was, uh, how, you know, how, how to get them to make the kind of tough decisions where they could, when they'd been in a huge growth mode, right? How to help them make the kind of decisions where they could, uh, they would be able to sustain a couple of years potentially without raising additional capital, which is, seemed like a long time, long horizon at the time. But now, of course, it's, it's, that's uh, come to pass. So um, I think, I think that companies were less reluctant to, to, to make the, make the kind of cuts they need to, some of them still not deep enough. Um, I think at this point, you know, I feel like we're hopefully 2024 will be better, but I feel like we're all kind of in this like sustain, we kind of need to sustain, um, where we are right now. Hiring, um, most of our companies are kind of flat right now. Some of them starting to hire, but, but pretty much st staying flat and not having difficulties hiring anymore. Um, one thing that I think has been really interesting, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal probably two weeks ago now that talked about how people aren't, aren't resigning as, as much. So the non-regrettable attrition rates are down to the point where companies need to um, be more aggressive in their performance management and, and, and make sure that they're, you know, able to prune enough to continue to bring in new talent. So, um, so you ask kind of what lessons were, have been learned. I think, um, 
I think that our founders and CEOs are just much, much less quick to react to uh, things like what seems like a, a shortage in talent. You know, I think we're all just kind of uh, more, you know, conservative, steady state. Let's uh, not react too quickly to and and no longer kind of growth at all costs. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think uh, it's it's been interesting to see some of the numbers um, of layoffs you know, declining steadily over the last couple of months. And then they seem to be holding steady at a you know, much lower rate than, than they had been over the last 18 months. So hopefully that trend continues um, and we can go into 2024 with uh, a, a cautious uh, sense of hope and optimism that, uh, you know, we've kind of we've, we've moved up from the bottom and, and we're, we're rebounding. Yeah. Um, for companies that aren't, you know, you wrote a piece in, in Norwest blog about compassionate rifts. And layoffs. And I'd love to have you expand on that a little bit, because I think, um, you know, certainly at this stage in the current kind of down cycle uh, that we're in, we've seen the worst of the worst cases. We, I mean, you know, the, I don't know that there's a best case for layoffs. Layoffs suck. Uh, and especially if you're impacted by them, no amount of care is going to make you feel good about that. But there are examples of companies that um, were very compassionate in how they managed it, how they led it, how they communicated it, how they supported impacted employees. And so I'd love to have you just expand a bit more on that article. Like when you think about what are the elements of a, of a compassionate riff, what does that look like to you? I, I wrote that article just to say real quickly, because I was so frustrated by the way some big tech companies were handling, a, a, handling their riffs without you know, providing dignity that to people impacted and everyone's impacted, right? All of us who've ever been at a company that's had a riff, whether you were one of the people laid off or not, everyone is impacted. They're really rough. Um, the, and then I saw a couple companies doing it really well. Uh, Stripe was a company that did it well. Airbnb was a company that did it well. And it really came down to, um, kind of transparent communication and preparation. So, if possible, and this is not always possible, nor does it make sense, you know, a, a company, um, employees at a company going along can, you know, are getting regular updates on on how the company's doing and maybe they're anticipating it so it's not a shock. That's ideal, but that's not always the case, right? Um, but to, to um, you know, first of all, primarily treat people with respect on the way out. And then... Uh, Secondly, just communication to, to take the time to communicate with people, to communicate with people ahead of time, if possible. Um, the playbook that I usually recommend is, you know, if possible, you bring people together or send out a communication right before the action happens. You uh, let people know this is the time frame. You may or may not get uh, an invite. You uh, conduct the meetings as respectfully and um, quickly as possible bring the company together afterwards, explain that, you know, what has happened and why, um, who's impacted. So it's not a big mystery. Uh, the, the, the rationale for why it had to happen and how it positions the company going forward. Everyone has the same message. Everyone gives the same message. And, um, and then you open Q and a, which, at that point, and then maybe a couple, couple days later, another open Q&A with the C-suite or by department. So people have lots of opportunity to, to ask questions. Um, 
by contrast, what, you know, what we saw from companies like Google and Twitter was, you know, people coming in and their badge doesn't work and then they find out. And there's just no reason to do that, right? There's, it takes more time, takes more preparation, but there's no reason to treat people that way. And the ramifications are, it's rough. I, um, it's rough. It's rough if you're impacted, it feels personal, even though it's not, or it sort of is. Um, it's really hard to watch your, you know, people, people go and, and, it's uh, with just a few tweaks, it's relatively easy to have a different, a different uh, approach. The Amplify community has had such a profound impact on me. This work can be incredibly lonely and the caliber of humans that I have met in this group is like nothing I've experienced before. I can't express how much the community supports one another, how safe I feel sharing about the challenges that I have in the role. It is truly the safest community I've ever been a part of to share and learn from other people, practitioners and professionals. One of the things I love so much about the Amplify community is having the opportunity to connect with a global group of peers, where we have the opportunity to come together, collaborate, innovate, most importantly, problem solve, and be able to just hold space for one another to support each other in the work that we're really pouring a lot of care and effort and energy into each and every week. I want to thank Amplify Academy community members, Chloe Sesta Jacobs, Noah Warder, and Balbina Knight for sharing their experiences. The Amplify Academy was built to help today's HR practitioners build the learning agility and network equity needed to thrive in today's world of work. Through our AI Learning Lab with over 500 resources, our global Slack community, and our leadership development cohorts, you'll build the capabilities and connections to drive your career forward. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at amplifytalent.com academy. Now, back to the show. Yeah, no, you're right. I remember the, you know, the, the Twitter ones were particularly painful. I mean, I would say, you know, the Google ones were maybe more painful because you didn't, you wouldn't expect kind of the, the Google ones to go the way, the way they had. I think Twitter uh, under that current management um, maybe was less surprising, but still painful. And I think, uh, you know, like the challenge is this is a very emotional experience. And, you know, you, met, you mentioned Stripe and Airbnb as companies got it right. Like I, I uh, actually, in, in my book, Redefining HR, I spotlighted uh, Brian Chesky's you know, email to employees when they had their layoffs just after the pandemic as just a masterclass in how to do an empathetic riff. Um, and he owned it. They kind of explained it. And there's just that, that to me, that was a masterclass in how to do that right. Um, I want to. I want to shift gears with you for a moment because I think, you know, obviously you've, you've, we've lived through a lot of changes in the world of work over the last couple of years. And certainly that's had a pretty profound impact on our world of HR and people, and certainly on the, the head of people, the chief people officer, the CHRO, whatever the title might be. This is probably one of the most complex roles in the C-suite today. And I would love to get your thoughts. Obviously, you're, you're advising different uh, portfolio companies and founders who are hiring chief people officers or heads of people. What do you tell them to look for? Like, what do you, how do you, you know, you're, you, you, have, you have a portfolio founder sitting across from you there. They want to really level up their HR team and their capabilities. Uh, and they're looking to you for guidance on what they should be looking for. What, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think um, 
there's really specific skills needed for to 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 scale a company, right? To go from from a startup type environment to a, a to a um, to a larger company, maybe even approaching IPO. So great if you can find someone who's done it before, who's seen the movie movie before. Um, Actually, the the uh, oftentimes people will say we want someone who's who's you know sat in the seat with, with an I, IPO before, and the IPO itself and IPO prep is not actually that critical for a people leader, as much as I think uh, being able to scale a company and 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 knowing when to you know when it's going to start when you need to deal with the stresses on the systems and the processes and the people when you're scaling. So so ideally someone who's scaled before um, and. One of the things uh, that I've noticed among our people leaders who are super successful is someone who's worked at a large company before, perhaps a Deloitte, or um, we had someone who really successful people leader came from 20 years at HP before, right? Um, someone who's kind of seen best practices and the frameworks, but also knows how to translate it to a startup environment, and you know, and knows what will what will. Um, transfer to a small startup environment, what modifications they need to make, and then how to kind of point the North Star towards, you know, a, a larger scaling company. So that I think is um, super critical. Um, and then also someone who is has the ability to think strategically, can partner with the, the rest of the C-suite and, and um, around all the people issues and growth issues, um, but is also willing to kind of dig in and get their hands dirty. We have such a unique, um, talented community of people leaders that I work with uh, quite frequently in our in our portfolio, who um, are skilled strategically and also willing to be an HR department of one or maybe an HR department of two and run payroll if they have to, or you know design the new performance management system, do individual coaching with with uh, you know employees in the company. So. Um, I think those are the two things. One is, you know, the ability to to scale uh, from a startup to a larger company. Um, the uh, uh, and then the the willingness, I guess, to be um, strategic and hands on at the same time. And um, it, it's it, it, people who are often in HR department of one. I don't know if you, have you ever been in HR department of one yourself or two, maybe. Um. I I haven't HR uh, recruiting yet, yes. um, but I have you know in in the uh, Amplify Talent community we have a lot of HR departments of you know, one or very very lean departments. Yeah. So that role is strategic, it's tactical, it's hands on, it's, it's it's you know forecasting, it's it's all of yeah, that. and it's super fun. If you know, I I like I mean I I feel like I was an HR department of one for many years here at Norwest, and it's fun to be able to do all of that. Um, but it can also be a really lonely job because there are things that you are knowing about and learning about that, you, you know, you can't talk to anyone. Maybe you can talk to the CEO about, but no one else. And that's, I think, been one of the biggest values for our, the leaders in our um, portfolio is being able to come together and share in a, you know, safe space um, in, in the family that kind of, you know, issues that come up that you, they can't, they don't have, you know, they can't talk to, they talk to maybe their spouse about, but but no one else. Yeah. I mean, you, that, um, as you mentioned, that community piece is critical. Like I, I, you, you can't be a high impact people leader today without a network, without a deep network and, and people that you, you know, that are your phone or friend network, your commiserate network sometimes, cause this work is hard. Uh, it's lonely, it's challenging and you're right. Like there's a lot of things that you can't talk to anybody about. There's some things you can't 
talk to your CEO about because it might right. be about oh your CEO. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. you have to have those peer networks that uh, yeah. are like, can talk you off the ledge sometimes when uh, when you need that. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on, on one thing. I think, you know, we are seeing a lot of, um, especially in tech, experienced senior leaders stepping out, right? Maybe moving into coaching, moving into consulting, taking a sabbatical, but we're starting to see a bit of a, a talent drain at the upper echelon of the field. And so you're seeing more people getting those kind of stretch assignments into first time heads of people role. Um, how, how do you, how do you manage that? Like you mentioned, obviously you've got a robust community um, to support portfolio leaders. How, how else do you think about supporting uh, leaders where, you know, they, they may need to get somebody in that role that hasn't seen and done all the things that they're going to see and do, and they're going to be experiencing that for the first time. HR people are so nice and so wonderful and usually so willing to share their expertise and talents. And um, we had a, a situation where um, very talented, um, more junior person, but again, very, very talented. She's been a super active member of our community. Um, her CEO was looking, you know, wanted to continue to up-level her by pairing her with someone who's seen the movie before, right? So I reached out to the, some of the more senior leaders in our portfolio and was a Amazed, there were half a dozen uh, again super experienced, uh, talented HR leaders who reached out and said they're passionate about mentoring. So I connected her with three other people um, who are willing to spend a half an hour um, a week with her, just kind of talking through the kind of challenge that they're that she's facing. That you just need someone who's kind of seen the movie before. So I think I think um, that kind of mentor pairing can be super effective. Yeah. Let's, um, you know, we kind of, we had to look back. Let's take a look ahead, right? Uh, you know, we're, and I'm not going to ask you to make predictions. <laughs> you can even think about making this anymore. Right. But like, when you think about the, the current kind of, um, you know, zeitgeist around talent people trends, like, you know, a, a shift towards returning to the office, you know, more so than remote. Um, talking about budget cuts that are hitting programs like, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, or workplace flexibility, or this, this pushback we're seeing in some organizations around what they perceive to be employee entitlement, um, you know, in certain areas. And obviously, you know, you get to think about these things at scale because you're looking at across a global portfolio. What, you know, without obviously getting into any specifics of any organization, like what trends are you seeing? Like what are, what are some of the things that tend to be kind of top of mind for the people leaders in your portfolio? Yeah, a few things. I think the return to office is a you know an evergreen topic on all of our monthly monthly roundtables, and it's interesting because I would I don't think I could say there's one particular trend among these companies. We have companies who uh, were fully remote before the pandemic and are happy to do that. Companies who went fully remote because they gave up their space and are staying fully remote and feel like it's the best thing ever. Um, largely because they can of the talent that they can hire from any pool is a large part of it. And then companies uh, increasingly where um, there's pressure from the C-suite to bring people back, right? And that's challenging for a few reasons. You know, one is uh, you've already let people move all over the place. So the messages, messaging that we tend to talk about, about why it's important is really excludes all the people that you've told that they could move remote, right? Or are hired remote. So you really have to be careful about, about, um, the messaging around why you want people to come back. Um, 
And then, um, the, t- you know, talent also, we have one company who's in a small town or medium sized town in the Midwest, and, um, it has severely impacted their hiring all of a sudden because they, the, the pools are so much smaller, especially for engineering talent. So, um, you know, and from the company side, I, I, you know, I get it. I, I, uh, I myself work three days a week in the office, two days a week at home, love both aspects of it. Um, every time I'm in the office, every time I have a conversation that I wouldn't, and this has been going on for the year and a half that we've been back, that I have a conversation that I would not have had if I wasn't in the office every single time. And it's always a conversation that's valuable. So I think collaboration, super important and really impacted by having people co-located and innovation as well. So, you know, for companies, I think the benefit of having people remote is recruiting and real estate costs, but the trade-offs are, I think they're trade-offs, you know, and I think that, um, that's, that's increasingly going to be the, the trend, I, I think. Not to predict, but I think so. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I will hold you to yeah, that, right? right. We, we won't. Uh, we won't card that. We're, look, I think the, the environment we're in, the volatility that we're experiencing. Um, you know, I would love to tell you know the the redefiners tuning in that it's a moment in time, and we're going to turn the page on that. I, I I'm an optimist, and I don't think that. I think we're going to continue to be in an environment that is uh, largely has a lot of volatility, and it's more of how do we adapt to that. How do we navigate to these changes that are taking place, um, and how do we how do we get ahead of it, right? Like we can talk about, you know, generative AI or these new kind of technologies or platforms that will be changing everything, right? And that's I think from an HR perspective, like we it, it's important that the demands of our job are vast and complex and challenging, and and it, it's natural for that to kind of pull your head into your desk and just look at what's in front of you, but you you can't. You've got to you've got to be able to lift your head up, and you've got to be able to look at some of these things that are coming, um, because that is our reality. And if we're not baking that into our process, um, we're not going to be able to help see the whole picture and advise our our leaders and our companies accordingly. Yeah, and it's another example. I think AI is another example. I I think for AI companies are looking to technology as well as HR to figure out, but it's another example of just like this brand new thing that's come on the horizon and HR people, how do we deal with it? I don't know. I can figure it out, but I don't know, you know, so yeah. 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 Well, look, and, and to be honest, like there is no answer, right? There's uh, you know, we're, we're recording this a week after OpenAI released GPTs and this is massive for our industry and it allows, it democratizes the access to these powerful tools for practitioners to become creators and build HR tools that are super valuable. Um, But it also allows a random person off the street to create what they call as an HR tool that's not programmed in any way to be valuable. And now if you're using the wrong tool, you're going to get bad information. So we have to be savvy consumers, but we will only even know that that's a problem we need to be thinking about if we're paying a bit of attention. It's just, uh, yeah, it's complex and I get it. But I think uh, to me, it's like I kind of frame... There's two key things for success as a HR leader today: your learning agility and your network equity. And if you're looking at building both of those things as part of your job, not something in addition to your job, you're going to be successful and you're going to make space for it. Because to be impactful in your role, you have to be. And uh, you know, it's exciting times, it's dynamic times, it's challenging times, but uh, this is the world that we're in today. So. Uh, Lori, final thoughts on your end. If, uh, if there's practitioners out there who 
you know, we'd love to get your perspective on kind of where the world of work is heading. Uh, what would you, what would you share with them? What, what gets you excited when you think about what's next? Can I answer one other question that I, I was thinking, you know, the, about what's really big on our, on our HR leaders minds as well as return to office, because it's super important yeah. is, is mental health is, you know, that's the yes. other, that's the other, that's the other topic that's evergreen in our, in our round tables that as soon as you mental, mention mental health, you know, like on a zoom call where you have, you know, 20 faces, everyone nods their head. That has been a significant change in the last few years in a few ways. Uh, I, th- I think the pandemic obviously probably created some mental health issues for people, exacerbated mental health issues for people. Um, the expectation that your employer would um, would uh, be, res- help, be responsible for your mental health, I think is something that's new. Um, and and that, that shows up with uh, kind of old school managers like me, who've been around a while, who, you know, grew up in a time when there was a strict separation, you would never think about bringing uh, any personal issues from home into the office, right? Um, and um, I think that changed for for everybody, especially you know here. Look at us; we're you know in our in our homes right now. So that as the lines blurred, I think that expectation um, was created. So you know our companies have had to, our leaders have had to teach their managers how to deal with employmental health, health issues that come up, how to talk to people about it, what to do when someone raises an issue that really needs probably elevated HR attention. And um, even uh, the expectations on HR leaders, we've, we've had it several who end up sitting down with probably more of their younger employees and helping them find a therapist on the uh, benefits website. So it's not only issues kind of created in the pandemic, but I think issues with people coming back has been pretty significant also. And I don't know any HR leader who, again, doesn't nod their head. Lots of um, issues, you know, employee relations issues that we never saw before at a greater frequency. So what made me think about that is when you're saying, you know, learning agility and and, um, network equity and all the ways we have to kind of be thinking ahead to be able to do our jobs and be effective. We're also dealing with a lot of things um, on a, a, you know, personal employee by employee level that takes significant amount of time. So you have to have a good team and be able to, to balance all of it. Uh, so another another way where I think HR leaders have been able to, you know, prove their worth in the C-suite when you have a really kind of, you know, wacky-ish employee relationship that shows up and everyone looks once again to the HR person to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate raising that point because I think it is important. And I think that the, the last comment you made uh, around like HR has to figure it out, I mean, that's like... I, 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 you know, lovingly refer to our field uh, as the department of plus one over the last couple of yes. years, because whether it's like, you know, crisis communications, yes. pandemics, safety, health, mental, I mean, so many things that were not historically part of our world Absolutely. are now very much part of our world. So yeah, that ability to adapt and uh, take that on and to do it with compassion, I yeah. think is really important. Yeah. Um, Lori, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your, your expertise, your journey and your wisdom with us. Uh, if, uh, if Amplifiers want to connect with you after the podcast, is LinkedIn the best way to do that? Yes. LinkedIn's the best way to do that. I'm not on Twitter anymore. Okay. I, as a matter of principle. So, uh, yeah. That's fair. That's so, fair. Yeah. <laughs> all right. LinkedIn, you yeah. heard it here. Lori, yeah. thanks so much for your time and, uh, wishing you all the continued success at uh, Norwest Venture Partners. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. 
For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.